hard to get a job teaching in Halifax at that time, but I was really lucky to get an interview and get hired at, at Halifax Grammar, which is a private school down in, in the south end, right across from St. Mary's. And that was when I started running. And they had a really good, still do have a really good cross country and track coach, Peter Baisley is his name. Peter was really fast. He ran at Dow. Um, he's got his PBs are legit. And, uh, <laughs> and so when he found out that I was kind of sort of trying to become a runner, um, he asked me to help him out. And I, I was happy to do it because I, I knew he was a really good coach and that I could learn a lot from him. And he did help me out with my running a little bit. And uh, when I qualified for Boston, he, he had given me quite a few pointers. And um, so I just felt like I was kind of like a sponge for information. Welcome to the New Leaf Running Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Canning, and that was Mike Peterson. I first met Mike in 2018 as he was leaving me in his dust, moving up to second place at the Brookvale 50K Ultra, where he eventually went on to take the win. The great thing about trail running, though, is that as he was overtaking me, Steve Reeves, who was his pacer at the time, took the time to uh, do full introductions, and we ended up getting to chat and get to know each other uh, for a little bit before he, you know, left me in his dust. Uh, That's the great thing about trail running is I don't think there are many other sports out there where athletes in competition for a spot on the podium would have a conversation with their fellow competitor in the middle of a race. I think that's pretty special. Following the the 50k, Mike reached out um, for some coaching to run his first 100 miler and he wanted to follow that effort up Uh, with chasing a PR in the marathon eight weeks later. And this was a tall order coming with lots of challenges, and we get into all the details uh, around that. But this conversation is about a lot more than just that 100-miler in the marathon. Mike confesses that he wasn't always a runner, and he didn't even run a single step up until the age of 36. His story truly shows that anyone can pick up running at any point in your life and even excel in the sport. Mike has taken his passion for running to the next level, and he's now the the coach of high school and UPEI cross-country track and field teams. And this all came about when he started a job teaching here in Halifax, where he ended up saying yes to helping out the running coach at that school. I really do love a good story where someone listens to the universe and chases after their dreams. And with a lot of hard work and determination, these dreams become reality. And this story does not disappoint. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi, Mike, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time this evening to sit down and talk all things running with me. How are things going there in PEI? 
Uh, things are pretty good. We've had uh, like a super nice, actually, we probably had the best winter for running as long as I've lived in PEI. And this spring has, has just followed suit. It's been fantastic. The, the trails at Bonshaw and Strathgarden are, are already in, you know, like I'd say more like June form than, than April. It's, it's fantastic. It's been pretty yeah. similar here in, in Nova Scotia. Like the, the winter wasn't that, that harsh. It never really got super cold. Like we didn't have too many days that dipped down below minus 20. Uh, the conditions were always pretty good for like running cross-country skiing. And even with the amount of like melt and late snow that we've gotten, like um, the trails have pr- pr- like they're drying up a lot faster than I would expect for this time of year. Like things are in pretty good shape right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I had a, I had an inner sort of bet with myself that I, I wanted to make it the whole winter without stepping on a treadmill once. And, and I did it. But the funny thing is the hardest day was actually last Sunday. We had that freezing rainstorm and I just said, I'm not, I'm not ruining that now. So Stan Chason and I went for a long run in the middle of the freezing rainstorm on, on Sunday, but we got it done and it actually ended up being really fun. Brutal. Like a cold rain is the worst. I, I, we had really big, what, I don't, maybe it freezing rained. Yeah, it did freezing rain a bit. And I was out, I've been working on uh, doing some trail building at, uh, at our new place here in Mount Uniac, where we just moved to. So I've just been trying to work. Uh, I've been working with Wilco, who lives in the area uh, as well, another local trail runner here. We'll be on the podcast coming up in a bit, actually and uh, was my pacer at Capes 100. Okay. Um, but yeah, he lives locally and just to have somebody else that's close by that gets excited about building trails. And just, we've been doing a decent amount of bushwhacking too, just kind of scouting where we think we could have wi- like roots going off into the wilderness, which has been different, but kind of fun. Puts me out of my comfort zone. Like I've never really gone that, like it's right out the door, but I'm really just going into like deep wilderness, like four or five K back into nothing, <laughs> like just woods. <laughs> I can only imagine if it's putting you out of your comfort zone, then I can imagine what it would be like for the normal person. <laughs> it's been interesting. It's been fun though. And it's happy to have a partner in crime. Oh, that's great. Uh, I've been thinking about how to best start things off with this, and I I settled on, um, I'm going to tell the story of the day where I first met you, and it was Brookville 2018, that's where we first first crossed paths, and um, I'm going to get into my story. And then when I'm done, I want to hear uh, your version of the story. Okay, go ahead and tell the, the 2018 Brookvale story. <laughs> All right. So it um, might sound a little over dramatic with the, with the <laughs> opening, but I'm just going to try and be a good storyteller. So the year was 2018, <laughs> and the day was dark and gloomy, and it was stormier than normal. The day was crazy. The rain was torrential. <laughs> 
if you remember that day. It was it was pretty crazy. It was nuts. Yeah, it, it was nuts. But I think as far as having a good 50k and what the Brookvale could normally be like, it wasn't that bad. Like the trails were a little sloppy. Mm. Um, but I think the cooler temperatures they they certainly helped me out a Definitely. little bit. But uh, so leading up to the race, like I. I was targeting Brookvale as like an A race. Like I wanted to go out and sort of test my limits here, see what I could do for a nice fast 50K if I really put some good training into it. But unfortunately, leading up to the race, like you can't control these things. I got like really serious pneumonia. And I got like yeah, really bad lung infection, and it took me out for over four weeks, like right before this. So I didn't get that good training block that I wanted, and I was really just getting back to the point of running and not feeling like I was going to lose a lung on the side of the trail and not feeling weak again. So I was kind of feeling really disappointed um, about where I was leading into that race because I was really looking forward to it and I was feeling pretty down on it. But then like the day of the race, I kind of gave myself a little bit of a pep talk. Like, you know, I'm here, like my wife's here, like I might as well like just see what I can do. And at the, at the end of it, like I did have my heart set on trying to get under five hours. Like I knew that if I had a good training block and I really had a good race, I was capable of running under five. Uh, I didn't have my my hopes too high for that given the lead up, but I was, you know, talked myself into at least giving it a good shot because ultimately what I wanted to get out of the experience was just pushing my body hard and being able to look at myself at the mirror and saying I did the best that I could. And I said, well, I can I can still do that, even though the training wasn't what I wanted it to be leading up to the race. Um, so I guess because this is not a podcast about me, um, I'm going to um, just sh- skip a bunch of the, the race details. And skip to the part where where you come into the into the picture. So I think we were about over halfway through the the second lap. I had been given things uh, a pretty good go. I was running in second place, which was kind of amazed amazed me. Like I was, but I was really starting to to suffer. Like the the wheels were coming off, and then. Sort of out of nowhere is to me, like I was just kind of off in my own little world. You and uh, your pacer, Steve Reeves, come uh, bombing up, uh, come bombing up behind me. And that just kind of really brought me back into reality. Like I'm not the only person out here right now. And then I was kind of <laughs> determined to not let you get away from me. And I stuck with you for a little bit. But I'd say, as David Goggins likes to say, you you stole my soul at that point <laughs> in time. You, you took it and you stomped on it, and you just you just took off. And I had no hope of of keeping up with you at, at that point. Like you guys were running so strong, and like you just looked so in control 
of what you were doing at that point. Like say my, my soul was taken and <laughs> like you had such an amazing second half of that race. Like you came back from, you were in fourth place, right? Uh, coming through the halfway point. And then you came back to actually take the win. So that's a really amazing effort. And I think that's where we first met at the end of the, well, we, we passed when you passed me, you said, you said, hi, and I probably grunted <laughs> at you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my recollection of the day. So, um, <laughs> Brookville 50 K was your, was your first 50 K, right? Was it? No, it was, well, it was, but it wasn't that year. Um, that was my second consecutive right. year. So I'm going to make it about you for one more minute. And okay. I'm just going to, and just before I go on to my thoughts, one thing I tell this story all the time about the kind of, you know, I, the only time that I've been, you know, fortunate enough to kind of catch up to somebody late in a race and go by them and have them not quit was you on that day. Cause I, we went by and I was like, okay, this is good. Like only one more guy to go kind of try and reel in. We I had no idea where Jeremy Ritchie was at that time, but I was like, I guess we could go see if we can find him. But then you, you didn't go away. <laughs> you stayed there and you stayed hot on my heels for like almost to the end of the woodlot. I think really. Yeah. 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 I think you dropped me right before we got on, on the road. Like I could still, I still had you in my sights, like on the road when we got out of there, but I was my my will to to keep up at that point was was fading fast. But I, I was determined for a, quite a while after you caught to stay on your heels and not not let you get away with that too easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was admirable. Every year you hear about how hot it is at the Brookvale Ultra, and it's. You know, you got to hydrate, you got to take care of yourself. Both years I did the 50K was a torrential downpour. It was worse in 2017. And me being very new to trail running at that time, I was in like a pair of Asics Nimbus. And I basically just slid down all the hills. Um, like I didn't, my feet never came off the ground. I just basically like slid down a bunch of mud every time. So I was a little more prepared. For 2018, 20, I'm kind of the kind of guy that wades into the water with, especially with running like marathons, it's the same. I just kind of try and push a little harder each time and eventually I'll hit the top of the bell curve. But, um, in 2018, I said, okay, like, let's go for it a little bit. I was training for the Moncton marathon that fall. So I had pretty good mileage under my belt and, uh, I was, had done probably five or six runs at a Brookvale and Bonshaw and, and Strath and that kind of thing. So I was talking to Steve and he was doing Squamish that year. So he wasn't going to be doing Brookvale. So I said, perfect. You can pace me for the second half since you're allowed to have a pacer for the second half. And he was like, sure, no problem. So then I just started picking his brain. And the one thing that he kept drilling into me was, well, two things, I guess. One was to be cautious in the first lap right? Cause so many, he said, walk the Hills in your first lap so you can run the flats in your second. Right. And the other thing he said was like, you're, you know, you've had a little bit of success road racing. So 
because Brookvale has so much that's not on trail, like there's the back dirt road there, the McKenna road is a pretty long piece and the little piece in the highway and the, the woodlot's not too technical. So he's like, there'll be lots of places where you can kind of use your speed to catch up on guys that are more accomplished trail runners and make up for my, my lack of trail ability. And it worked like a charm, right? Like, like you said, I was in fourth coming through the second lap and I was feeling really comfortable. And, uh, Steve, Steve joined in and he was like, you're, you're in a really good spot. There's three guys ahead of you. Uh, they're probably within striking distance. Let's just stay patient for now and then ramp it up as we go. And after the McKenna road, uh, where you turn left at the Anukshuk and start, uh, coming by the ski hill there before you get back to the highway that's where i saw i saw you for a split second and you had just either gone by or pulled away from jt nicholson who was completely blowing up jt great trail runner and the nicest guy like absolutely the last person you'd want to see blow up i just i felt terrible for him but he just went out really he was he's really young and he went out really hot uh, that's coming back to me a little bit now too, because I was blowing up at that point, but I remember catching him and I was just blowing up, not as bad as he was blowing <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it, it kind of gave me a little bit more, okay, uh, well, we're in second now, so this is all right, but I was yeah. still feeling pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a tough spot. Cause that's a pretty big hill coming. That's uh, one of the bigger climbs, you know, coming the other direction up the ski hill is the biggest climb, but that would be probably in the top three or four climbs. And he was just, I, I stopped to talk to him for a second and he was almost incoherent. And luckily his mom was working at the next aid station and she shut him down. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, or she, I guess, convinced him to stop, but cause he was pretty out of it. Yeah. yeah. I actually remember I stopped to ask him if he was okay. I'm pretty sure that's I'm remembering because he was looking if my memory is right on that, I remember him looking bad enough that I was concerned Yeah, when yeah. I caught him. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's got, like, I'd be shocked if JT doesn't win Brookvale some year. He just, he knows the trail so well and he's such a good trade. Like he just floats over the roots and the rocks and stuff. He, he paced me um, in part of the Capes 100 and he was, he's just the nicest, most positive, talented guy. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so then, so I was in your sights. Yeah. Well, you, you just briefly, and then you left, you, you got your second win there. And then, um, it wasn't until we kind of, uh, officially entered that trail on the woodlot after you come off the road where you enter the woodlot that we kind of come, came up behind you. And I remember Steve doing the introductions, like, this is Mike, Mike, this is Rick. Hey Rick, how are you? Good Mike. How are you? <laughs> and then, and then we kind of, uh, ran together for, you know, a really good chunk of the woodlot. And, uh, yeah. Quick and then, aside though, like in what other sport where two people are in position to end up on the podium, is there a conversation about introductions and just saying hi and check it in see how the other person's doing? <laughs> yeah. I tell you, that's one thing I love about trail running, you know, like in road racing, it just kind of seems so kind of cutthroat sometimes and but the vibe at at 
these trail. Well, I'll take it to another level. Um, after we went down the road and hung a left at the aid station there and started climbing the ski hill, that's where we saw Jeremy for the first time. And of course, Steve, you know how competitive Steve is. He's like, Mike, Mike, let's go. Let's go now. And I was like, Steve, we've still got like 7K and we only have to close 200 more meters. Let me get up this hill first. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so we make it up the hill. And as soon as Jeremy saw us, he turned around and he started clapping. Right. Like, who does that? He's, he turned around. He, he clapped for us as we went up the hill. He said, congratulations, guys have a good finish. And then we just, we went. And of course I didn't believe him. I'm like, Steve, that guy's coming back for us. I got to put the hammer down now. And I, I closed pretty hard in the last six K, which really helped my, I, I don't know if I ran a negative split, but I might've, I probably did. I, I think, I think you closed that second loop faster than, than your first yeah. loop. Yeah. 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 So, and then I uh, got to the finish line and you know how it is there. All the 10 K people and 25 K people are gone and there's not many people around. And they handed, they handed me some McCormick vegan food and a pair of shoes. And I was very happy. <laughs> yeah. The, the fanfare. Yeah. Even, even with the front runners coming in and in the ultra seems to, to, to wean at some of these, these events. Right. But uh, it's nice. Like when, even when, like when I finished, like you were, you were still around and I, I wasn't even really paying attention to my watch until we got to that last technical part of the, the trail. And I saw that that sub five hours was actually within striking distance. And I kind of was happy, but not happy because it meant that I had no excuse. Like I needed to actually <laughs> work for it. So I, I did get in under five hours, which I was quite, quite happy about. Mm -hmm. You were pretty comfortably under five, weren't you? Like uh, trying to, I think I was only just like a four fifty eight oh, okay. or something like that. Oh, okay. I'd have to go back and relook. Yeah, it, it wasn't like seconds, but it wasn't a huge, huge right. margin. Right. Uh, but anyway, I was pretty proud of of that finish, and I just remember being really impressed with with how well you ran that second lap. Yeah. Like it was like a flawless execution of a race plan. Yeah, thanks. I, I really owe it all to Steve. He was, I was probably annoying him with all the, the texts and like, well, you know how it is. You, you coached me at the Capes 100, but I get a little nervous and uh, just kind of am always looking for more advice. And, and I just kind of like to make sure I don't leave any stones unturned, but Steve really helped me out there a lot. He was great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so moving on from, from Brookvale, um, I'm just kind of like flashing forward to 2019 now. Right. Um, this is where you, you reached out to me, um, for some coaching cause you mm -hmm. had some really ambitious plans for, for 2019. <laughs> so, um, why don't you sort of go take a trip down memory lane. So what, what were your plans for 2019 and why did you decide it was a good idea to reach out for some coaching? Well, the, the story actually starts the year before I was on my way back from my son's 
birthday trip. So we did a trip where five of us drove to Toronto and watched the Leafs. My son's a big Leafs, Raptors, everything Toronto fan and a, and a Patriots fan. So we drove to Toronto, watched the Leafs and the Jets, watched a TFC game the next day, and then drove to Buffalo for a Monday nighter with Buffalo and the Patriots. And then racing home the next day, drove 16 hours straight from Buffalo to Charlottetown. And my phone rings while I'm driving and it's Steve Reeves. And he, and he says, there's a hundred miler in Atlanta, Canada, first one in Atlanta, Canada coming up. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing a hundred miler. We signed up for it, but I'd also, uh, my wife also wanted to go and do Chicago in the fall. So I reached out to you because I had no sweet clue how to get ready for a hundred miler. I knew Steve was going to try and go after it and didn't want to be bothering him all the time. We, we got to run together a lot, which was great. Um, but I wanted someone that knew what they were doing to sort of guide me through it and then help me recover in time to run Chicago. I think eight weeks later. Yeah, it was yeah. eight weeks later. Yeah. So you kind of broke up a little bit there. So I'm going to have to fact check on what I think I heard. Did Did Steve Reeves say that he signed you up for the hundred, or well, did you, or did he say that that uh, that he had signed him up and that you should sign up? What What happened there? Uh, both. He said okay. <laughs> he said we're we're going to do this. Um, there's three spots left, and I basically said, well, I'm traveling right now. If there's still a spot left when I get back into Canada, I will, I will sign myself up. And he said, no, no, I'll just, I'll just get you in. You owe me 250 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So you had the hundred, but you, the wife wanted to run Chicago. Yeah. It was a, it was a big group of us. Actually, there was a, uh, probably 10 of us from Charlottetown and some other friends from other places were all meeting in Chicago for the weekend to have a really good time. And so, uh, yeah, I had already planned on doing that. So I was like, okay, I want to have a, a safe, but good race at Capes 100. And then I want to try and knock Chicago out of the park eight weeks later. Do you remember your response? I don't remember exactly what I said in, in the email, but I remember reading that and I was like, this guy is a little bit, a little bit nuts, but (laughs) I'm on board. I could get with this. (laughs) So So what what did I say? You said the hundred miler we can definitely do just how important is you to run? Is it to you to run fast in Chicago? (laughs) And I was like, well, let's just see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I knew just from previous experience, like trying to maintain that road speed while building up your, your distance is, is hard. Like a lot of elite, elite um, trail runners will talk about that and transitioning to marathons. They have a lot of trouble with the leg speed and being able to run fast on, mm. on the road. So I knew that was going to be a challenge and the times that like you were, were shooting for, like, it's not like, uh, like for, for like training into that, like just road training without a hundred miler, 
in there? Like, do you like once you start getting down into the the two forties, like shaving minutes like off of the marathon time on its own is gets exponentially harder, right? As you get mm-hmm. faster, and it's like so. This guy wants to PR in a marathon after he runs his first hundred mile race. It's like this is going to be a challenge. But, <laughs> all right, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> yeah. I guess one of the advantages we have is that I'm, I'm old and I don't have any speed left anyway. So I just have become a mileage guy. So, yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that was uh, summer of 2019 was an absolute blast getting ready for both those races. So at the, so if we want to dive a little deeper into the, the why you set Mm. your season up like this. So why, like besides just Steve Reeves saying it was a good idea and that he was going to sign you up for this race, like at the root of it, like why did you want to run a hundred miles? Ah, Oh, okay. That's another level of question. Um, I think it was somewhere where I was going to go anyway. Uh, I really had started to fall in love with trail running. Um, the Brookvale 50 K was obviously like just so much fun. I absolutely loved it. And so I knew that I wanted to go further and uh, I don't mind testing limits. Uh, I'm not like, in fact, I, I guess I really like it. Like uh, I don't really know why, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm running away from any demons or anything like that, but I just wanted to really give it a go. I had seen how much Steve enjoyed it um, and, and Sean McArdle and how much, you know, he seems to get out of trail running and the success that he's had, you know, um, which is, you know, I listened to the podcast you did with him and he's just the most humble guy. Like he, he's so good at trail running. Right. And he's done so much. So I was like, I, you know, obviously I'm not going to, try and shoot for maybe as many things as Sean's done, but I would definitely like to just see how good I could get at it and have some fun doing it. And like I said, I I love the vibe, like the Capes 100 weekend was just amazing. Like I I can't wait to do like son of a gun and Waskly Wabbit and some local stuff and then branch out and try some stuff, you know, around the world when we're allowed to. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think like it's it's really healthy to every once in a while get in a little over your head, right? Like to mm-hmm. be fully invested in something where you are unsure about the outcome. Like you have a pretty good idea that if you really put your mind to it, that you can do it, but you you fully know and appreciate that you could you could fail. That that's actually now that you mention it, that's one thing that I was curious about finding out. Like, can I handle the dark place? Right? Like, uh, you know, I in marathons, I and and road races, I don't think I probably haven't pushed myself hard enough, I guess, but I've never really been in a super dark place, and <laughs> I knew there'd be no avoiding it in in the capes 100 so especially when i saw the elevation and the terrain and stuff so 
I was like, okay, a little different than the than the PEI Brookvale Nordic Park, right? For sure, yeah, for sure, and like so many other elements, like most of the reassurance that you gave me was, you know, around other things besides just the running, right? Like, Rick, what do I do if I see a coyote? Rick, what do I? How much should I be eating each hour? Rick, how much should I be drinking? Each? It was all things that weren't necessarily directly related to the running itself. Which is which yeah. is great that you brought that up because like success in an ultra endurance event, like yeah, fitness is is important at the end of the day. But what's gonna make or break your experience most of the time is not to do with your fitness. Like most people will not cite and say that I didn't train enough. That that's why I didn't finish my hundred miler. Yeah. Like <laughs> people will say, oh, my stomach crapped out, or right. I got lost, or any number of, of other reasons, like hydration went off the rails. Like there's so many other reasons other than fitness of why people drop from yeah. 100. So, yeah, after you get into the, the cracks of training for something like that, you do start to realize that it's not just about the, the running right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the, my favorite part of the whole coaching process with you was the calls where you would say, okay, what were the worries that you've written down since the last time we talked and let's go through each one and prepare for them and see what we're going to do if something happens. And that just gave me such great peace of mind. Uh, you know, when I was on the line and, uh, really took me took me through the whole race you know just a little little bit of confidence yeah and like at least going through it like beforehand like you're able like you don't have to to panic about it right like if that situation were to come up you've already processed it yeah, yeah. so it still probably sucks when you're in <laughs> it <laughs> but yeah. at least the the thought process like you have a direction to go right yeah. so there's there's no panic that that sets in you just yeah. deal with it oh 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 i've been through this i know what to do <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah totally so going from so jumping from that 50k and the marathon background like going up to that first 100 miler that's mm. a really big jump and like there's no prerequisite or anything that says like you need to run a 50 miler before you run a hundred miler. A lot of people will, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's no prerequisite for that. But like, what were your like big reservations about like doing this? Like what were your, your top worries? Like what were you thinking were your big limitations going into this? I don't know if you remember, but the biggest one by far, was how am I going to stay awake for that long? I, you know, I've never been the kind, I never been like really good at working midnight shifts when I was younger. And I, I really need sleep. I, uh, you know, I don't function well if I don't get six or eight hours of sleep every night. So I was, I was petrified of just like having to lie down on the trail somewhere and go to sleep for a while. Um, It was also one of the most pleasant surprises was that I didn't feel like sleeping once. Like I, I didn't ever feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm tired and I need to have a rest. 
Um, you know, there was other issues that came up, but um, nothing too major. But I was like amazed by how the human body is just like, nope, we're, we don't have time for that right now. We've got to keep running, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. on on mission. It's like, well, yeah. well, we'll let you deal with the ramifications of this later. Yeah. But uh, right now you can keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's it. That's it. I did sleep for 15 hours that night, but <laughs> yeah. So what was the biggest difference um, between your your previous like road marathon training uh, that you'd done before and, uh, this training for a hundred miler. Um, I guess the terrain and the other things that I did to sort of challenge myself, like I did way more trail running that summer. So even though I had Chicago in the back of my mind, I really didn't care that much about getting any speed work in the only speed work I did was I'd, I would text you and say, Hey, if, is it okay if I jump in this road race this weekend? And you'd be like, yeah, if you're feeling good and just don't have super high expectations. But then I always seem to feel really you did good. Pretty good at those. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Not, not too bad. Yeah. I, I think I won the dunk river race and yeah, like I, they were fine and I, you know, I was beat up, but I knew I had to be beat up at that time. And, uh, the other big thing was uh the middle of the night runs so getting up at 1 30 in the morning driving out to brookvale um meeting darcy mccardle who did all of them with me and was this is sean's brother darcy yeah okay yeah is one of my he was one of my other pacers so jt did from 100 to the farthest point on the out and back and then darcy ran me in and darcy those are some good friends oh just unbelievable yeah just the nicest guys and uh yeah darcy at least three times probably met me at two o'clock in the morning in the brookvale parking lot or at bonshaw and like one time we did one of the longer runs i think we did a five-hour run that started at 2 a.m so i didn't do that i don't do that very often when i'm marathon training <laughs> definitely not but hey you you listed uh needing to to be comfortable at, at like that point in in the night so yeah we we designed a training plan to help you get comfortable with that right so well and in in retrospect those are by far some of my most favorite runs it's just amazing out there at night so showing up to the to the start line at capes how are you feeling like you're, you're towing the line, your first hunter miler, you're going into the unknown. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was actually in the washroom when the gun went off. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> no, you didn't tell me that. You never fessed up to that one. Yeah, I had. Well, I was like, okay, Rick said to be very patient. And like I said, I'm the kind of guy that sort of takes things slowly. And I, I was really going to be very cautious and I had a big feed of pancakes at what time did we start? Six. We started pretty early. I don't remember exactly when the gun went off. Yeah. So at probably five, I had a big feed of pancakes and I don't like running with things in my stomach. So it was about two minutes to the start and my crew's like, you gotta go you gotta go you gotta go and i was like i'll be okay and i went in the washroom 
I came to the start and everyone was gone. <laughs> and well, I think fortunately or unfortunately, there was a really big bottleneck I at was... the start anyways. So you didn't miss out on much action. You probably were in a big rush and you got jammed at the back of the bottleneck for a little bit. Yeah. So when we hung that left to leave the farm and went down the hill, I couldn't move. Like I, I caught up to the pack in like, like 30 seconds and just basically had to walk down the hill. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but I caught up to you uh, like a kilometer onto the beach. Yeah. 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 I remember running into you on the yeah. beach yeah. and, um, and then I remember not seeing you again until we, we crossed paths in the middle of the night. And I had been like, that was just one thing that I had fixated on at that point in, in the race. It's like, I got to find Mike. I don't want to miss him. <laughs> yeah. I got to see, I got to see. Like, I wanted to know that you were, that you were okay and that you were still moving good. And then you, uh, you looked really good. When- yeah. That was super uplifting because you were coming off of a, an injury and I was, I was like equally as worried about you. And it was really good timing. Cause I just came out of the woods as you were going into them at the top of the hill on that, the road that you had to climb before you went back into the woods. So that was uh, yeah, that was a good moment. And then having seen you, you know, that gave me a little adrenaline rush and I only had, Oh, I don't know, like 25 K left maybe at that point. So, yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. We that was a really uh, really lifted my spirits up at that point to you, and I probably talked my pacer off my ear off about <laughs> that one for for a little while. But I think we skirted around like how you were you were feeling uh, at the start line. Like the, oh right, right. Yeah. Uh, nervous. Um, I guess like I don't have a whole lot of trail experience, but I do have a lot of running experience. So I knew I was ready. I knew our, our plan was good. I knew the training was good. Um, so I knew I'd be okay. I just didn't know where I'd finish in the race. Like I, I knew that and you had convinced me that unless something really strange happened, I was going to finish and it just was where I was going to finish. Right. Um, but I still went out super cautiously. Like, uh, and I, I do my best, like for anyone doing their first hundred or like taking on something like that to try and get that out of your mind, like the worry about where it's just more about the act of doing and yeah. the, the where is going to take care of itself. <laughs> yeah. And I had a great crew. Like, uh, so in addition to Darcy and JT, it was kind of funny. I, bought tickets for all my crew at the dinner. And when I showed up with five of us, everyone was like, what is going on here? Like, cause everyone else had like one person or none with their drop bags. And I was like, I wanted, I wanted some uh, familiarity. So another friend, Ali Keedwell and another friend, Brenda Benson, they came over too. And uh, you know, we had a great weekend. And uh, so I was, I was probably as comfortable as I could have been at the start of a hundred miler that I, that I possibly could have been a healthy set of nerves, but mm. confident in your abilities to tackle the task at hand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then I went out super slow. Like if you look at, if you go back and look at the splits, I was like, I don't know, like 45th or 50th place at the 20 K at the first 
the first time that you crossed a mat? I think if you look, go back and look where I was at the first point where you, you, you cross a mat as far as hundred miler, like the, the standings in the hundred miler, I think Chalmers and I were actually last. Yeah. You, you guys gobbled up a lot of people. We gobbled up a lot of carnage (laughs) (laughs) later on in the race. Yeah. 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 And your last split was, I, I remember looking back and your last split was fast. Like it was really good. Yeah. yeah we were on a mission um, coming back. Like even just from that last turnaround, we, the, the business hats went on from nice. there. Nice. Yeah. yeah we yeah. split that faster than we ran it through the night. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, that was, that was good yeah. for sure. So what were the, like during, as the race unfolded, like what were your big, like the big issues you needed to work through and did any of those ones, like, did it help like what we had gone through before? Like, were you able to put any of that into practice or even did the same thought process help you problem solve some of the things that kind of came up that we didn't talk about? Yeah, totally. Like, um, the coaching that you gave that was like, what was your line? It was like, if you think you're going to slow, slow down or something. like that. So, and, and Sean. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was, if you, if you have to think about if you're, yeah, if if you're going too fast, then that means you definitely need to slow down. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and Sean kept saying the same thing. Like, uh, not, I don't, I didn't get to sh- talk to Sean a whole lot before it, but you know, through Darcy, he, Sean says just constant forward motion. So I just had that in my mind the whole time, but so, so that was good. And then, you know, like for the plan that we had for that race, we nailed it, right? Like the amount of caloric intake you told me to take per hour was, was great. Um, the amount of water was great. Uh, the types of things that we ate, that I ate, like uh, you had told me, uh, I made the wraps with sweet potato and some beans and some bacon in them and some maple syrup. And those were amazing, right? Like, so those were kind of my in-between aid station thing. Um, I think now that I've done one uh, and I was cautious and had a, an okay finish, I'll probably, knowing me and being a little too competitive, try and go after the next one. And I'll try and find that balance a little bit more of eating less and going faster and going to the washroom less because I did have to use the washroom at the, uh, in the trailer park on the way back. What was that? The 80 K yeah. pit stop. I, I was in the washroom for like 25 minutes oh, right? wow. and just, yeah. yeah. And just because of probably the beans and those wraps, but <laughs> But, uh, yeah. So next time I'll probably like you talk to Steve, Hey, how was your nutrition? Good. I had three M&Ms and a piece of pizza, like the whole race. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. He, so I obviously won't go that far, but, um, I'll probably try and find a little balance, more balance between trying to go fast and trying to be safe and cautious. So, yeah. When you need to get that first one under your, under totally. your belt, cause you don't know what you don't know until you're yeah. in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so much can just compound and go wrong and completely derail you. Like for that first experience, like mission critical is just get to that finish line. Right. 
Yeah, totally. And you know, it's funny how things changed throughout the race too. Like at Brookvale, um, usually like I'll have a, a couple of cliff bars and you know, the, the gels and I like jujubes and chips and I really like Coke, but I was eating so much of the jujubes and M&Ms and Coke early on in the race that by the time I got back to the farm at the hundred kilometer mark, I couldn't like even you look didn't at want it. To see him anymore. I like, couldn't no. look, look at anything sweet. So from that point on, it was like salty stuff. It was chips and chicken noodle soup. I don't know if you remember, but the guy at maybe this one of the aid stations on the out and back in the last 60 K had this broth that was super salty. And I was like, okay, this is the best stuff on the planet right now, right? Yeah, I, I was. Yeah. I drank a couple cupfuls of that yeah. too. Like that was that was a blessing right there. Yeah. <laughs> and then ginger ale. Like I switched from uh, Coke to ginger ale, and and it was great. So now I'll know next time to maybe not have so much sweet stuff early, and and have the salty stuff on standby as the race progresses, right? Like all the stuff that. I made notes about for the next time, if we ever, when we get to do our next one. And that's why the notes are, are so important because like your, your memory fades. And that's why I always push everyone to do a really in-depth, like post race analysis and report Yeah, because like you're, what you think happened like a year, two years from, from that day, when you go to try and do something like that again, like your the version of that story in your head is going to be different than what actually unfolded and you're going to forget important details <laughs> <laughs> yeah no exactly no um and i've i've always been uh you know it's almost one of the drawbacks of strava is i used to keep pretty detailed journals like every week and uh, it's funny i was going back and reading through one that i just found well, I was cleaning out a drawer a little while ago and it was kind of fun, but now with Strava, I, I don't do it as much because you can just scroll back through and see, but, but for a race like that, I'll definitely make, make notes afterwards every time. Yeah. So after yeah. all that, you get to the, get to the finish line. So what are you, what are you feeling as you're coming down the hill? You see mm-hmm. the, the big black arch, uh, the finish shoot, I think. Oh, it was awesome. And, uh, I felt I, I hadn't been feeling great from maybe about 5k after I saw you till about 5k left from the finish. And Darcy was doing a great job of like coaxing me along and I, I didn't stop or anything. And I was, it was constant forward progress, but I looked back and I saw some people on a long stretch of trail, maybe a kilometer behind me. And the instincts just kicked in. I was like, Darcy, let's go. And I, I kind of dropped the hammer a little bit in the last probably four or five K and I, I closed really strong. And, uh, so I, I was feeling really good when I, when I crossed the line and it was, it was pouring rain. Then I don't know if you remember, but oh, was, I yeah. remember that vividly. Yeah. That was a get in again, coming up on a future podcast with, with Wilco. We get pretty in depth of in in my experience, I guess future to you 
past for people that are going to be listening to to this. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to get my time frame a little straight here, so they okay. I guess they will hear that by the time this this comes out. But that that rain was brutal. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was coming down hard, and yeah. it was cold for August. Yeah, yeah, it was. But again, you know, I run two fifty k's in a torrential downpour, like you. You should have seen Brookvale in 2017. The the McKenna Road. Was- well, I, I was there. I've been. I was there for like the like five six years in a row. So oh, okay, I, I got that one. Yeah. Oh, you got that one too. Okay, yeah, it was ankle deep. Like yeah. at times, it was crazy. So maybe that was a a you know something that fortuitous that happened that was just good preparation for the takes 100 yeah it's it's just all lined up yeah Yeah. you have a be prepared and have a great experience yeah so yeah crossing the finish line you're feeling feeling good um when does it like so you probably have some a lot of emotions around that the first hundred miler finished it's in the books yeah how much time after that, does it set in that uh, this marathon is just around the corner? <laughs> um, well, I had three beers at the finish line and then got my belt buckle and drove straight to McDonald's and Amherst <laughs> and then <laughs> slept for 15 hours. And then when I woke up, it was... I started thinking about it. Like I, I was excited for Chicago. I had done Chicago in 2014 and had a really good experience and really enjoyed it. And so many of my friends were going that I just knew it was going to be an awesome weekend. And I was like, I was ready to go. And, and I I was feeling pretty good. Like we, like I said, we did a good job of getting my body ready for the Capes 100, knowing that Chicago was going to be happening. So I don't know. Do you remember? I think I only took, two or three days off. Yeah. I remember yeah. being really nervous about that first week after, after capes, but I remember putting a lot of trust in what you were telling me. Cause I knew that the sooner we could get down to business, the the better. And I, I put a lot of trust in the information that you were telling me. I would test the waters a little bit with some runs, listen to your feedback, and then know that it was okay to start pushing you a little bit, not that long after capes. And I think one thing that, that showed through that worked pretty well is I remember like we kept some like short leg turnover workouts the whole time through your, your training for capes to try and keep that leg speed as much as possible tuned, tuned up. Yeah. Yeah. I did more 20 second and one minute pickups in those eight weeks than I probably have in my, in my whole rest of my life combined. But you know what? I like them so much that they're, they're a staple for me now. And when some of the athletes that I coach on the UPI cross country team and my high school cross country team are a little bit banged up, I, I use it as a way to sort of ease them back in with just a little bit of leg turnover, but not really push them too hard. It's, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of bang for your buck, right? Yeah. A lot of bang for your buck and say it really helps train that neuromuscular system to be able to put the hammer down again. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what I think one thing you really get out of it 
is even though you're tired and even though it's work to run that 20 seconds with the right knee lift and using your glutes and getting everything going the right way, you can do it for 20 seconds, right? Yeah, you, then, you can muster it up to get yeah. that going for 20 seconds. Yeah. yeah. And then the more of them you do, the more it just becomes second nature again. So yeah, it, it was good. So we're leading up to Chicago. Um, we're, we're testing the waters a bit. We're, we're starting to get a little, some key workouts back to, to see how that body's going to handle, handle the marathon. And you have this almost audacious goal that you're going to, you're going to PR at the Chicago marathon eight weeks after your first hundred miler. And like, like I say, we talked about it. I knew it was going to be, be challenging. And I was like, I'm just going to do everything in my power to set you up for success. And we're just going to have to see where the cards fall. Yeah. So how were you feeling like leading up to Chicago with, with how things were, were going? Yeah, pretty good. I, I remember a threshy workout. Um, maybe it was like two times 12 minute threshold, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember after that, I had one of my cross country kids pace me and, uh, you know, one of the faster ones so that my, th- you know, my threshy is pretty easy for him. And it felt, it felt really good. I, I think I remember texting you or, or, commenting on final surge, like that was really good. Right. So I I think we're, I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. So, and it was on a fairly, there's a a field near my house called co-op. It's like a trail that goes around some soccer fields and uh, tennis courts and stuff. And there's some ups and downs in it. And I was able to maintain the goal pace and I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Thing we're, we're on the body, the body's working. The, The legs are turning over we might have a shot at doing like, I, I remember, I don't know if it was specifically that workout, but sort of in the weeks after capes, seeing what you were like, how we were building back up. I was like, shit, he's got a really good chance of pulling <laughs> this off. Like this is coming together. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was, I was confident. Like uh, I wanted to do more than PR. I wanted to run a sub two forty five. Yeah, and, I, I remember. And, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay, that's not completely impossible. It's going to be hard, but it's not completely impossible, especially at, like Chicago's nice and flat and stuff. So, yeah. 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 So we're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We're, you're, you're on the line running the race. Like how, how does that race feel compared to previous marathon experience like how are those legs feeling once you start turning them over and you're going like are you feeling any like residual 100 miler in the body like uh, are you feeling a little different a little wonky like how was that feeling not at the start at the start i felt strong that you know like we had beaten the snot out of my body so much and kind of eased it back that I didn't necessarily feel fast, but I felt strong. I felt like I could hold 
what was it? 353. I was trying to go out at or something like that. I felt like I could, I could hold it for a really long time. Yeah. So how are you feeling? Like, I think ultimately you ended up coming in, you did PR, right? You were 247, a little bit faster yeah. than you, you'd ever run before, which I think is an absolute phenomenal feat given what you just accomplished eight weeks before. Uh, not quite where you wanted to be, but I still think it was absolutely insane and amazing <laughs> what you were able to do. But what's going through your head, like as the splits are ticking off and you're not quite where you want to be, like what what's going on there? Well, it's interesting because I, I did hold it and was feeling really good. And remember saying to myself at 33K, like, oh, geez, we got a really good shot at this. And I think I was like around Chinatown. And um, it was shortly after that that I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And so the last 9K was just a battle to hold four minute pace. And I was actually like looking back, you know, lying in bed, scrolling over the Strava that night and looking at my heart rate and, and my pace for those last 9K. I was pretty proud of how, how hard I battled. Right? So, so that so, takes a lot of grit to finish a marathon in that pain cave that you would have been feeling at that yeah. point in time, right? Yeah, to be honest, like that might have been worse than any time in the hundred miler, right? Because you're going nine minute pace or ten minute pace, and and it's fun. <laughs> yeah, that right? that immediate like searing pain, and you know that you need to keep the hammer down, or it yeah. everything is just going to slip away. And yeah. the more, and, and if you give that any power, you're you're just done. Right. Yeah, that's it. So I just was like, okay, just battle. Maybe you'll get a second win. And at the very least, you know, it's so hard to do math in your head at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it should not be yeah. trusted. Yeah. But Any sort like, of math near the end of a marathon should not be trusted. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember back before Garmin's, like when you're trying to read the wristband, you know, and oh, my God. And then you just give up. But yeah, no, I was, I knew I was going to like i was hoping to pb my pb going in was 248.01 from the moncton marathon in 2018 and then i think i was like 247 two yeah 247 37 and i did i had to pee i actually over <laughs> i over and uh at the 20k mark i had to, i found a porta potty and it probably cost me about 30 seconds but my my line at the end when i found Stan after he had been waiting for a very long time for me uh, to finish was like, man, that summer was a lot of work for a 30 something second PB. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was good. It was, I was really happy and uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Like it was, it was great. Yeah. I say, I just remember like feeling such a sense like of, like on my part, just pride of being a part, like as a part of what you accomplished. And again, you did all the work. Like I was just helping, helping you along with that. But I, I just remember being so, so happy for you 
at the end of both of those races, really, but especially after at the accumulation of after that marathon, like I was like, this is, this is something special. What just happened here? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, like, I'll never forget, um, how much work you put into, to helping me out. Like, uh, I will sing New Leaf Running's praises for a long, long time. I appreciate that. I really do. So I think I do think like the key, the keys that we, we incorporated after the hundred going into the, into that marathon in such a short time frame. like the number one thing was that you were in tune with your body and that I had enough trust in you to believe what you were telling me. Yeah. I like being a coach myself. I maybe 15 years ago, I would have tried to lie to you, but I, I know the dangers of it now firsthand from the other end. Right. So I was like, okay, if something's a little sore, I, I should tell Rick that something's a little sore. If I'm extra fatigued today, I'll, I'll let him know. So, yeah. And I think like we, we had developed that relationship over the, the course of the training for, for Cape. So I didn't have that worry. Like I knew at, by that point that I could trust it. So I think that that really came, came into play. And then I, like I, we, we talked about it earlier, but I really do think that those short leg turnover workouts really yeah. helped a lot. Me too. Those were golden. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think it's time to take a pretty big pivot here. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, I think it's time to get more into the crux of who is Mike Peterson and how did you get into, into running? Like we just spent a ton of time talking mm-hmm. about hundred mile race and pretty big achievements, but we really didn't like let people know who you are and how you get into running. And I really like origin stories. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've gathered that from listening to the other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, if we're going to get into how I got into running, then we need to get into who is Jocelyn Peterson not Mike Peterson. Yeah. Okay. So when my wife was in medical school and uh, we joke around that we do everything backwards. My wife, uh, my wife actually went to nursing school with Aaron Poirier. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's a connection there. Yeah. Yeah, Island island connection. So we're good friends with Aaron and uh, net, but was never, she was never a runner. She would go jogging once in a while and that kind of thing. But then when she got to med school, uh, we had two little kids and I was working full time at a school in Halifax. I was lucky enough to get a job while we were there. And so she needed, she started running with one of her medical school, uh, you know, fellow students to kind of lost some steam and for mental health and that kind of thing. And then she started running more and more and more. And at that same time, my, I was kind of winding down. I played university basketball and played a lot of uh, like, like basketball after university and touch football and that kind of thing. But I was, so I, I didn't actually start running till I was 36. I, I really didn't run a step. 
And uh, so I saw how much fun she was having and how good it was for her and said, you know, she's in medical school. This is going to be a long haul. We have two little kids. This is something that we could probably do together. Right. And, and we did, we had a double running stroller and we were that family running around Point Pleasant Park. But then she signed up for a half marathon, the hypothermic half in Halifax and had a, a, a pretty good one. And I was like, Oh, she's actually, she's pretty good. Right. Or as far as I knew, I didn't know anything about running and times. And it's so weird that I'm she, such a, she ran a half marathon. She's good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. But she not <laughs> only ran it, she ran like probably 138 or something. Oh, like wow. That, right? In her first, in her first half. And uh, it's funny that I knew nothing about what that meant then because I'm such a track and running nerd now that, you know, like, but I had no clue what that meant, but I just saw that she like looked good. And so she's like, I'm going to sign up for a marathon. All right. So, so she signs up for the PI marathon in 2008 and she has uh, an aunt and uncle who are very good to us and were very good to us when we were in Halifax and she was in med school. And her uncle, for a joke, says, if you qualify for Boston in your first marathon, we will pay for the whole trip, take you down there, pay for your hotel, uh, feed you, and you know, we'll make sure you have one of the best weekends of your life. Oh, oh wow. So she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, That's some incentive there, right? <laughs> so she had never run a marathon. And really had no clue what she was doing. Like she, her longest run was probably like 25 K or something like that. And that was before like Boston blew up and it was like, you could still kind of register whenever and get in then. Um, so her qualifying time was 340, and she ran a 337 in her first marathon. Wow. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. So I saw all this going down and I was like, Oh geez, that, this, this running thing looks really, really fun. So I, I kind of tried to follow suit and we both started, you know, she's, and she's gotten faster. She's, she won the PI marathon in 20, I want to say 2016 or 17. And last year at Chicago, she ran a 308. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and it, it's funny, Rick, like if you knew Jocelyn, you could, you'd be able to picture this. And, uh, but like, I'm dying, right? Like I was, I ran my race and I go to the family waiting area and I'm just like a mess. And she comes up like a, if she'd had a skipping rope, she would have been skipping up after a 308. And she's like, Oh, that was really great. You know? And I was like, I'm dead. <laughs> but wow. anyway, so yeah. she got, she really got me hooked on it. And, uh, so I just kind of followed suit. I, you know, um, I, I wanted to see what Boston was like and what running a marathon was. So my, my first race was actually a half marathon and my probably second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth races were marathons. Yeah. Right. And then so, I think it's so important again, to get these stories out there, especially with all that you've, that you've accomplished. Um, you didn't start until 36 like you just said i didn't run a step until till 36 yeah. you're coming at this pretty late in life and here you are running 
247s in Chicago after running your first 100 miler like that like you can pick this up anytime and still excel in the sport right yeah and you know like it's pretty obvious what the sort of natural progression is as i get older i'll probably do less road racing and more trail running right and and probably go longer right like most of the science says that you know you can marathon run pretty effectively until pretty late and then your mileage doesn't really have to drop after that. You might be a little bit slower, but it still have a lot of fun doing this. There's some pretty cool stats out there in, in ultra running. Like the, the age variation is pretty, like pretty large. Like, like you can have people like in their late twenties up to people that are like into their mid sixties. And, um, the funny thing is, is that the average finishing time for that huge age demographic is not all that different. Yeah. You know, it doesn't surprise me, right? Like it, it's one of the really, one more really cool thing about trail running for sure. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Like uh, I still really like marathon running. I, I like trying to go fast and I still you know, until I peak for a few races in a row, I'll probably still try and do, you know, my goal, I'm 49 now. So um, we're hoping that we go to Berlin for my 50th and I'm going to try and see if I can try and put down a fast one there, but I'm looking forward to the change from road racing to a lot more trail running. I'm excited for it. I think I find personally there is like there, there's something so pure about running fast and and flat and i do find that the marathon distance is pretty special for me in testing like my limits and it's something i i respect a lot like i really respect the distance and it's not going to let you get away with with anything like you need to have a good day in order yeah. to perform at your peak and you don't deserve anything when you show up at that start line. And yeah. I do find like, it's not necessarily optimal for, for chasing peak performance for me in either one of those disciplines, marathon running or, or trail running, but it keeps me interested and curious. Like I split my year up almost into two seasons most of the time. And I train hard uh, for the marathon over the winter and just trail access and things like you can get out, you can snowshoe, you can still do that. But I, I'm just more excited to run fast and flat through the winter. And then I, I roll that into trail and I find like I've had pretty good success with that efficiency leg turnover rolling into the, the 50k. And even started rolling that up into the the fifty miler and stuff, and feeling pretty good about how that's been been working. But most importantly, it just keeps me engaged and keeps me really satisfied with what I can do during the year. And it's almost like two different sports, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a smart formula. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. So. Outside, like those first couple, like after those first couple races, you're getting hooked. Your wife mm. is out there crushing it. Like <laughs> you've, you have since then, like you've run 19 
marathons in that span of that time and three ultras like that is on its own like just the the numbers like that's amazing too right yeah it's it's been a lot of fun like uh one thing that that's really happened you know that was one of the goals with starting to run with jocelyn is the the traveling that we've got to do and you know, some of my favorite weekends that we've had together and with the kids sometimes too, uh, like alone and with the kids have been going to marathon weekends and it's just been a blast. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. So, you know, I was hoping to be 20 by now. Fredericton 2009 was my first marathon. So I was hoping that I would get to run my 20th last year in May uh, at Fredericton, but It'll uh, hopefully it goes Labor Day weekend and it'll still be my 20th. Fredericton is just, it's been the one that's got that sort of like special place in like in my heart. Like it's a, like a lot of people will complain about that course, like the out and backs and they complain about the, the gravel on the trail and how that mm. sucks some of the speed <laughs> out. But, you know, being part trail runners, like, my little pea gravel is not going to hurt me. Yeah. And I don't mind out and backs. Like if I'm on a mission to push myself, I really don't care about the scenery. Like I just need a venue to go and, and put the hammer down. So whether it's out and back or point to point, like point to point would probably be nice, but out and back a couple times doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I enjoy Fredericton. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm the kind of guy, like, honestly, like, I'm okay with it is what it is, right? Like, um, like you said, if I want a beautiful venue, uh, like, then I'll go for a trail run and I'll sign up for a trail run and I'll do it. Uh, if I want to try and go fast, then, then Fredericton's a, a good course to do it. And I don't, I agree. I hear there's a lot of guys around here that complain about running on the Confederation Trail and it makes you slower, but I, I don't really notice it that much. So I'm okay with Fredericton. My, my parents grew up there too, and I have a lot of family there. So it's nice to go and see them and have them out on the course and waving for you and cheering for you. And my dad grew up in Marysville, which is where the big mill is when you almost just before you turn around on the out and back both times. So it's nice to run by there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, aside from the like the blue nose around here, and I'm sure you get the same feel at the PEI marathon, but such a large portion of the, the running community, like the local running community comes out for that. And with all of the Outenbacks that are on that course, like you get to see and cheer for so many people. Like I find like it's such a like uplifting race just to be a part of because you're you're in the middle of it and you get to see everybody running every distance the whole time. Like I'd say my only complaint is that it gets a little chaotic. Like if you're coming in near the front of the the pack for the marathon, you're getting into it and mixing it up with kind of like the back of the pack, like 10Kers. When, when you're coming in, I do you struggle with that? Like when you're really in the pain cave and you just want to get finished having to bob and weave 
around some people that, again, they deserve and have every right to be out there enjoying the experience, but they're just not in tune enough to realize like how to kind of get in single file and not to kind of be holding hands like four abroad (laughs) across the, across the track. And like, I totally respect that. And I really like do appreciate them being out there and being able to express and, and do that. It's just not exactly what I want to run into when I am like five, 10 minutes out from collapsing at the finish line, trying to get this PR for my marathon. Right. Yeah. And there's no, that, way that's to get... my only complaint. Yeah, no, I, I get that too. Like, uh, yeah, there's nowhere to get away around them on the pedestrian no. bridge there across the river, but, but you know what, that happens in a lot of marathons. Like here, when you come off the trail and you turn onto the Sherwood road, then you're passing half marathoners for really like the last like seven K mm-hmm. of, of the race. And they only block off one side of the road. So there's been times when I just said to heck with it, I'm going out in the traffic and I've just like gone barreling down outside the pylons, but it is what it is. You know what you sign up for. And exactly. And, and you're right. Like those people, they they're getting what they need to get out of that race too. Right. So, and yeah, I'm okay with it. Like, Chicago for good like I ended up running I don't know I have to check my Strava but probably an extra 600 meters maybe a kilometer just because you're weaving around so many people so if it's okay yeah. in Chicago it's own, it's, it's own. okay in Charlottetown and Fredericton yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say I think I think like in in the moment like sometimes you probably catch yourself and like in that exact moment the ego probably gets flared up a little bit and a little frustration sets in like i don't think that you can help that when you're chasing like a time standard like me trying to get under three hours or something like that but at the end of the day like you're out there having fun they're out there having fun yeah everybody is 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 out there pushing themselves and that's what it's all about right yeah for sure yeah yeah so you alluded to it a little bit earlier and you are you're a track and field coach and you coach high school kids and you coach the university team, right? Yeah. So I, I'm the head coach of the cross country team at UPI. And then I continue through with the distance runners for indoor track. And I, someone else is the head coach for indoor, but I, I, I work with the distance kids all year. And then at Colonel Gray high school, I coach cross country and basically all of the track and field there. So, yeah. So where in this running journey from like 2008 did uh, did you decide that you wanted to give coaching a shot and how did you get involved with the schools and, and the university? Yeah, so I'd coached a lot of basketball. Um, I've always loved coaching. Um, so, you know, I... I I'd coached, had a college team in Ontario and I helped a good friend of mine, Scott Morrison, get the program started at Lakehead University when he was the head coach there. And he's actually a coach with the Boston Celtics now. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, So when Jocelyn went to med school, I was lucky enough to, it, it was really hard to get a job teaching in Halifax at that time, but I was really lucky to get an interview and get hired at, at Halifax Grammar, which is a private school down in, in the South End, right across from St. Mary's. And that was when I started running. 
And they had a really good, still do have a really good cross country and track coach. Peter Baisley is his name. Peter was really fast. He ran at Dow. Um, he's got his PBs are legit. And, uh, <laughs> and so when he found out that I was kind of sort of trying to become a runner, um, he asked me to help him out and I, I was happy to do it because I, I knew he was a really good coach and that I could learn a lot from him. And he did help me out with my running a little bit. And, uh, when I qualified for Boston, he, he had given me quite a few pointers. And, um, so I just felt like I was kind of like a sponge for information from him, but I wanted more. So okay, I was that's like, cool. So he like yeah. kind of took you under, under his wing and yeah. you get to sort of mentor under him yeah. a bit, learn some yeah. coaching from him. That's awesome. Right. And he must have been like, I just like peppered him with questions. And uh, for the, I coached at Grammar for my last two years there. So when Jocelyn graduated in 2010, she did a residency here. So we moved back. But I learned a ton from him in those two years. And it was, it was awesome. Um, and then that's when I was like, okay. I, I got to read everything. I got to watch everything. I got to learn as much as I possibly can. So when I came back to. I just Char- want one second yeah. on that yeah. because I just want to double click on, on something that's been a common thread through, throughout this whole thing. And I think you probably recognize it as, um, as a coach and in the athletes that, that you coach, but like for you, like you have such a sense of, of curiosity, like as mm-hmm. when, when I was coaching you, like you were always asking questions, always seeking the knowledge, mm-hmm. wanting to learn more. And as a coach, like that's the best kind of athlete to, to coach. Like, you know, they're, they're invested, they're bought in and they're really just trying to get the most out of it uh, as they can. And like, you brought that in like to your mentorship, mentorship, like as you were learning, um, as you were learning like coaching and I'm sure that you, you must recognize that in some of the athletes that you, you work with today, but that's, Something that I always say is that the people that go farthest in the sport or in really whatever they're trying to achieve is the ones that stay curious. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and that's sort of, we, we have this sort of, uh, unofficial mission statement, especially with the high school team is that like the number one thing that I'm trying to do is help people become like lifelong runners and, and just be well and be healthy for the rest of their lives. And then the second thing is try and, you know, I'm also a a school counselor. So it's important to me that we try and encourage people to be the best versions of themselves that they can. And then if they get faster, great, but one and two have led to three quite a bit. Exactly. It's kind of a secondary thing, but if you nail those first two, the third one takes care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And we like, so it it was funny when I moved back here, my friend was the AD at the high school that I was coming back to. And he was like, which basketball team do you want to coach? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you're stuck, I'll coach a team for the next couple of years but I, I want to build a cross country and track and field program. And he's like, what, when you left here, <laughs> you were a basketball guy. 
you've only been gone for four years. And I was like, yeah, I, I love this. And I, you know, Colonel Grace, a good size school, there's 900 kids. We can, we can build something. Let's, let's build a program. He was like, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. So he was really supportive and, uh, and so was the administration and they still are to this day. And so when I got there, there was, I think six kids on the cross country team. You had to sell it, like you you pitched it to the school. So you you were employed there uh, as a counselor, and you just you saw the potential sort of in the pool of of students that that were there, and it was just a fit for your passion at the time. So you like this could work. It was more of the size of the school. Like I didn't teach at this school before I left. I was at yeah, another yeah. school, yeah. but. I know, but I knew they had good athletics and I knew there'd be lots of athletes there and I knew there'd be lots of good kids mm-hmm. and driven kids. So I was like, okay, let's, yeah, let's just see what we can do. Let's kind of see if we can put Colonel Gray on the running map a little bit. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. that They were supportive of that. That's from the, doesn't sound like it was a hard sell. No, it was great. And, you know, we've done some pretty neat things like uh, we go to the main festival of champions for cross country every year. And, you know, that's a big trip and, uh, admin has been great. The principals come on the trip before, and, you know, like it's, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's one of the bigger high school sporting events in North America. There's 1900 kids have towed the line in the race sometimes. And we came second one year. And I, was, I think I remember you messaging me one, one time, just you know, telling me how well the, the kids had done. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So we've come in the top 10 there four or five times now and, and it, it, you know, done pretty well. And then in 2012 and 2013, we took the track team to the Nike festival or Nike, what's it called? Nike Grand Prix in uh, Toronto at varsity stadium and competed against teams from all over the country and, and held our own there. And it, you know, cross country and tracks gone from like and track to, you know, some years we have 70. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun and so much fun to watch it grow. And so many amazing stories that have come out of it and, you know, both my two oldest kids have run on the team and it's been great moments with them. And yeah, I, I am so glad that my wife started running. <laughs> it's amazing how that one, one thing can snowball, right? Like I said, like positivity, like when, like when you see somebody that is truly passionate for, for what they're doing and what they're pursuing, it is contagious, Right. And then once you got that little bit of spark, then it just ignites, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now there's a whole lot of little sparks all around Charlottetown all the time that are hopefully igniting other little sparks, right? Yeah. It's just building. It must be pretty special too, that you got to get in there like right at the beginning and build the program from scratch. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And you know what? I give a lot of kids credit too, because you know, in, in Charlottetown at that time to like be that new teacher in the school and be like, Hey guys, let's start cross country. Like you'd get some looks sometimes, but there were some key kids early on that were like, Hey, this is actually great. You should come try it. And then they'd bring four friends and three would stay. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and that it just kept building and building. And then 
you know, by year three or four, the incoming junior high kids are like, Hey, are you the cross country coach? Like, how do we sign up? Word is spread that. Yeah. yeah, This is the thing now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, we try really hard to manage like everyone being good to each other and like the warmups are fun and cool down is fun. And, uh, yeah, like, and it doesn't matter how good you are. I get, you know, I've had just as many proud moments with someone that, you know, didn't win the race, but ran, ran really hard and got a PB and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really good. It's amazing. So how did you go, like, how'd you get involved with the university then? So mm-hmm. if, so you got the high school kids, they're crushing it now, you've built the program. How did you yeah. uh, step up into um, the university cross country team? And yeah, same, same guy. So the, okay. AD, the AD uh, actually applied for the UPI AD job when it was vacant one time and he got it. And he called me and he's like, what do you, should we do this again? Because <laughs> Because UPI didn't have a team. They had never had it. Oh, they didn't have a team at that time. So you're starting another program from, from, scratch. from scratch. And it just so happens you've developed the best feeder to go into this program, probably. Like you've been conditioning these these high school kids. So I imagine some of them probably continued on in, yeah, to that a program. Yeah. A few. One, one thing that I promised myself when I, I took over the UPI team was that if a kid was better off going somewhere else, yeah, for I sure. would make sure that I encouraged them to go somewhere else. So those first couple of years, we actually had some pretty fast kids like uh, Michael Rogers, for instance, he was, I was like, Mike, go to Dow, like you're fast and they've got an established program there. You've got lots of tread on the tire too. You're not even, you haven't even come close to reaching your peak yet. Go to Dow. And so he won multiple AUS team championships there. And yeah, it's going to be hard to, to let him go, but again, good, I guess, like you have his best interests at heart and he's got to really respect it. Like imagine like that coach athlete re relationship, like if you've bonded over the past couple of years, like that's going to be a tough conversation to have, but yeah. Yeah. And like, I think he wanted to go there anyway. And, and, uh, but you know what, we still run together a lot. Like, yeah. it's, you know, we're, we're, we're good friends now. And, uh, his little brother actually is at Colonel Gray now. So I'm getting to coach him, but yeah. So we, we started that program in 2015 at UPI, um, did it for a year and kind of got it established. And then, uh, it was too much like doing the high school team and UPI. And I actually, I wasn't a school counselor yet. Then I was still in a classroom. I was finishing up my master's and then we had, uh, Alice kid number three. So I have, Oh wow. Yeah. I have, I have 19, 17 and seven. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it just was a little too much and a little too much strain. So I said, okay, like things are rolling. And a local coach, Colin McAdam, who's a really good coach, um, kept the the program kind of on life support for a few years. And then when my son graduated from high school and wanted to go to UPI, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll jump back in. So I took it back over a couple of years ago. 
and and now we're things are cooking we're we're we've they've improved a lot like uh covid silver lining for upi cross country is it kind of gave us a year to train really hard recruit really hard and close the gap on the saint fx's and dows and unbs a little bit and we're not there yet like we're not gonna we're not gonna win aus or anything but we're we're getting significantly better man i love it and i love that i can hear your like the passion in your voice about that program like that's that's shows through it shines through and i just love hearing that like that that coach passion come through about your your athletes like that's special yeah they're great kids right like uh i don't know like i don't know if good kids just naturally gravitate towards sports where you inflict a lot of pain on yourself or what but yeah i get a really good bunch yeah and yeah awesome so what's the best part for like for you like building that program, seeing these kids compete? Like what's the most rewarding part of that for you? Ah, that's a good question. The most rewarding part for me is on Sunday when I'm going for a long run and I get a text from a kid that I coached 12 years ago and a kid that I coached 5 years ago and a current kid and my son and we go out the door together and at various points in the long run, I run with all of them. That is awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's fantastic. Like I never have to run alone. It's great. You know? Um, And the fact like these, they're all staying in touch. Like you've obviously had a, a significant impact on not just their running, but just their, their life. Right. I hope so. I hope a positive one. Like that's, that's certainly the goal. You know, it's funny actually, uh, last Sunday, the text wasn't, Hey, let's go running. It was okay. We've organized a three on three basketball tournament and you're on this team. Right. So yeah, we, we ran in the morning and then in the afternoon we played pass, we played three on three to, for a couple hours. And it, that was just as much fun as the run was. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. Follow up to that is what's been one of your more challenging moments during that time, whether it was uh, anything to do with the high school or the university programs. Um, Finding balance is hard sometimes, right? Like with a pretty demanding job and my own running and a family that I care about and coaching two teams. I have to be really careful about uh, organizing my time and making sure that I give the right time to the right people when I can. Um, That's like the ongoing challenge. I don't know if I've had like a a moment where I'd be like, oh, geez, Rick, I remember this time. It was terrible because I've had a couple of scary ones, like kids that went into the pain cave a little too much and ended up in an ambulance, but they were fine. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, they always come back in like 30 seconds, but you get nervous like at yeah. that time, but yeah, the, it's the ongoing time and energy management. Uh, but you know what? I get my energy from running. Like, I think the fact that like you're aware of all of these different strains on on your time and 
you very obviously care how that impacts like everybody involved. But I think that they all appreciate that everything that you're doing like makes you a whole human and you're mm-hmm. able to show up better in life just because you're pursuing all of these things that you're you're passionate about. And yeah, it's got to be a little bit of a, a tightrope to walk and you need to be like cognizant of that you're not giving too much to one over the the other. But I bet if you asked, I, they would probably all be aware that that you get to show up better for them because you're doing these other things. I, I hope so. Like, uh, I think, like that's definitely the goal, right? Like, you know, I, I definitely am doing it for what I think are the right reasons. Like, you know, like I said before, like that we've done pretty well as a team, but I get a lot more joy and satisfaction out of just seeing what great people all these kids have become. For sure. Yeah. So I think we did it. We've been going <laughs> almost on on two hours now. We're coming up on it. But I guess you you've listened to a few shows, so you know you're not off the hook yet. <laughs> Gonna try and close things down just with a, with a question or two. Just try to sum up some of the topics that we've been talking about. Try and leave the listeners with uh, with some insights into um, into the topics that we've been looking at. Um, so I'm just going to fire away. Okay. Um, so what would you say to the person who's just been sort of likes the idea uh, of a hundred miler? They're kind of tossing that around in their head, but you kind of know that when you start to think about these things, like there, there's a lot of self, like there's a lot of doubt that goes through your head and, there must be a decent amount of people that will think about it and say, no, that can't be for me. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no way that, that I'm the type of person that could do something like this. So what would you say to that person? I would say I would start with, I loved every single step of the one that I did. Um, and I would say that, you know, I think at some point, in some everybody's life, they would think that it was probably pretty nuts to try and run a hundred miles. And then I would suggest to them to surround themselves, either get a coach or surround themselves with people that can make sure that they have everything they need to get it done. So, um, you know, whether that's, a training plan or nutrition or gear or all that stuff, just like make sure you have a good support team in place. And if you don't have to do it on your own, it makes it so much more fun and more doable. hundred percent definitely makes it a whole lot more fun. And your your chances of success go up exponentially if you have a good support crew. Yeah. 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 And that's not necessarily like on race day, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Like someone, the, oh, I run every Tuesday with this person. Great. Oh, this person meets me at Brookvale every Thursday and we do this one trail together. 
great. Talk food with someone else, talk gear with somebody else that's a gearhead, right? Like and individually, they probably don't even realize like the impact that they're they're having, like on the overall grand scheme. But like when you piece together all of these positive influences, like it all kind of comes together and makes the, yeah. the magic happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So next question, and this isn't one that I prepared, but it's just one that um, it's because I really enjoyed the last bit of our conversation around coaching. But I also like really enjoyed the fact that that isn't like you you kind of needed to go after that. Like it was your your idea. It wasn't something that was brought to you. It wasn't something that existed. So what would you say to somebody that's that's got an idea for something they think they would be be passionate about? Like how did you like what was the thought process behind like making that a reality? I would tell them to be patient, like and understand that there's gonna be speed bumps and just try and roll with stuff as much as you can and learn from your mistakes and don't give up and to look down the road long-term, right? Like we didn't go from six to 75 in one year. Um, you know, uh, the first year of cross country at Colonel Gray, we barely had enough to field a team in all four of the age groups in PEI. But then the second year was quite a bit better. And then by the third year or maybe the fourth year, we, we won all four championships, right? And then won all four in track two that year. So um, it, it takes a while. Don't listen to people that tell you that you can't do it or to go too fast, right? Like there's some of the kids that I've coached, uh, that have ran in university programs are a little impatient with how slowly I'm kind of bringing along the UPI program. But I think if you go slowly and you do it right, then it'll last a lot longer. So many great parallels there just with endurance and ultra running as well. Like you you can't force it. You need to let it develop at the right speed. Otherwise it's just going to implode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if I'd have tried to stay with the leaders in the first 20 kilometers of the capes 100 we might not be having this talk (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah yeah and yeah if you have the patience and you have the dedication and it's important to you and you you stay the course it will turn into something special yeah for sure that's it yeah and and ask for help right like if if it's too much, but you kind of have an idea of what you think the formula might be for some success, but you can't do it by yourself. And there's people around that want to get involved and stuff and we'll help you out. I think that hangs up a lot of people as they think they need to do so much on their own. But generally, like when, when you ask, people are more than willing to, to lend a hand and they're happy to lend a hand, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. They're looking for a lot of people are looking for something to do and just don't know what it is. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And this was an awesome conversation. It it was really, really fun. Like any excuse to talk running.
<laughs> I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. All right, so how did that one land for you guys? I personally find it pretty inspiring how Mike goes so hard after all of his goals and that you can really tell how passionate he is about coaching and just how he just endeavors to set his athletes up for long-term success in the sport of running. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, the best thing that you can do is subscribe and leave a review. If you've already done that, then it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with your friends on social media. I love seeing posts or getting tagged in people's stories. It's really awesome. I really need your help to grow the show in order to make this sustainable so I can keep bringing you conversations with real runners in our community who are out there doing amazing things. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.